Hello and welcome to the Intentional Leaders Podcast with Cindy Wetland. This is episode 44. Are you making good decisions? Hi, I'm Cindy, an educator, certified coach, and passionate learner on all things leadership related. It seems like just yesterday I was fresh out of grad school, wanting to make my way in the world, longing to make a difference to people, to team, to the business. Little did I know how challenging it would be. Fast forward several decades later, I've made a career of leading while teaching and coaching thousands of leaders to be at their best, most effective selves. Along this journey, I've captured so many insights, lessons, and techniques on how leaders become amazing, and also, as leaders, when we get it wrong. I'll share them all right here. Because I founded Intentional Leaders to provide easy access to these kinds of lessons and equally important to help you build the presence, confidence, and credibility you need to be the leader that everybody wants to work for. Because I know leadership has its challenges, but learning to lead shouldn't be one of them. In this episode, I want you to really think about how you make decisions and how you can strengthen potentially your decision-making and improve decision-making in your team. Because being a strong and decisive decision-maker is essential to leading and leading confidently. And also strengthening decision-making in your team can increase their engagement and buy-in and their commitment to decisions, especially if they're involved in them. And I think that's the secret sauce, because decision-making is a process. Most of us think of it as just an action, a thing we do, and sometimes it's easy and sometimes it's more complex, and sometimes we go with our gut, and sometimes we find data to support our decision. And as a leader, this matters, because when we make decisions or don't, others are watching us. They're taking their cues from us, and they're learning from us. Let's start by even defining it. Of course, I go to Wikipedia, my go-to, I know. What Wikipedia says is, In psychology, decision-making is regarded as a cognitive process resulting in the selection of a belief or course of action among several possible alternative options. It could be either rational or irrational. The decision-making process is a reasoning process. It's based on the assumptions of values, preferences, and beliefs of the decision-maker. And every decision-making process produces a final choice which may or may not prompt action. And I think that's a really interesting definition because what it suggests is we can be logical or not, we can take action or not, and all of those are involved in decision-making. But I think there's a lot of pitfalls to understand and to avoid. And here are the ones that I see the most in leaders that I've worked with over the years. Here are five things that I see most frequently. One, including not making one, (laughs) because... Yes, we may not prompt action as a result of our decision, but not making one is essentially making one. It's just not doing it on purpose. The second thing I see is not clearly identifying the problem or purpose. So many people today are facing workforce shortages and staffing shortages and trying to hire, hire, hire. And um, I understand that decision and that issue, but I think going back to understand what is 
the overall strategy of the organization with regard to employee engagement or um, employee retention or even production goals and stepping back to understand how to balance that in a realistic manner would be important and helpful to making sure we are deciding um, and, and even scrutinizing the right options. I think number three is trying to appeal to the collective. And what I mean by that is making decisions that everyone will buy into rather than making a decision that may generate some resistance. I was in a class yesterday and we talked a fair amount about this when it comes to problem solving and decision making, that some decisions will be controversial. And then these managers have to deal with the negativity, especially of long tenured employees. And that's really hard because they tend to be the ones that know what they're doing and they're productive and they they come and show up and they do what they need to do. So about the last thing we want them to do is to resist something that we're suggesting that might be slightly controversial. Uh, number four, what I see is just a lack of options that are being explored. I think sometimes it's easier just to act quickly and think about what might be the easiest solution or the one that makes the most common sense. However, I also think that that limits our choices and we're not necessarily deciding on purpose amongst enough options to come up with the best solution. And then the last one is mistaking opinions as facts and not relying on facts and evidence as we make those decisions. And this is a lot about the biases that affect us during the decision-making process. And if you really do want to instill quality and discipline in your decision-making, using a structured framework is important because it will help to avoid those pitfalls that I just mentioned. And there are several tools that can be used in decision-making, probably use them either informally or maybe even formally at work or personally, including a decision matrix and a pro and con analysis. Pro and con analysis tend to be very common. You just write down a list of the pros and cons of your decision. Just because we have a certain number of pros and a certain number of cons don't mean that the quality or the weightiness of each of those options are equal. And I think that's limiting around a pro and con analysis. So I definitely like the decision matrix best. And I've included a, a link so you can see what this looks like. And again, I'm sure you've made one when you think about purchasing a car or a house and all the different factors that go into making a decision. And as a best practice, when I teach leaders in classes about using a decision matrix, what I encourage them to do is think about the criteria for making the decision first. Decide how you want to decide before you explore options. So for example, if you're trying to solve the problem of turnover, first decide how you want to make that decision. For example, is it based on cost or maybe time to implement the solution, impact on staff, impact on production maybe? So defining those criteria first then go into, okay, what are the different options to solve turnover? Whether it's an employee development program, whether it's additional benefits, whether it's a higher, richer compensation package, whatever it might be, but we decide how we're going to decide first, then we list the options. What I also think is helpful is once you decide what the best option is, then do the pro and con analysis. I think that's a really great use of that tool because no matter what decision you make with a decision matrix, there are also going to be pros and cons of that decision. And looking at that in advance can help set you up to be successful and actually think about those risks and try to mitigate them in advance. 
So the value of these kinds of tools is discipline and recognizing that without discipline, we can fall into the traps of efficiency. And And you might be thinking, well, what is the trap of efficiency? How is that a trap? But in many episodes of these podcasts, I speak about our brain because it is incredibly complex. It's an amazing organ. And because it's wired to be efficient, it takes shortcuts on our behalf. And in decision-making, this is so true. And enter in biases. I've read statistics that say we process our thoughts automatically more than 90% of the time. And I've seen that statistic actually as high as 95 to 98% of the time versus reflectively when we pause to think about our thinking and think about the decisions we want to make. So do you want to know some things that might be influencing your automatic thoughts with decision-making? I have several for you. And one is called the similarity bias. We definitely have a preference for what is like us over what we see as different. We tend to go through life categorizing things and we see those who are similar to us in a favorable light. This can happen when making decisions about hiring or promotions or delegation or development or workload management. And decisions that we make now may be reflective of those we've made in the past, because just like that big bowl of mac and cheese, it's comfort food, and we get comfort out of decisions that are familiar to us. And that means similar to what we've done in the past. The second one is an experience bias. We have an experience bias when we see the world through our own lens, and we don't take into consideration other people's perspectives and viewpoints. And this bias to overcome it, we almost have to, on purpose, think about different stakeholders view, who would see the world different and why, and what should we be considering because of their experiences. So we definitely want to seek out feedback to overcome the experience bias. Number three is confirmation bias. I've probably talked about this in previous episodes because confirmation bias is so common. We place more emphasis on and value on information that supports our beliefs. Think about social media and all the things that you click on Typically, we click on things that reinforce our beliefs and our values. We don't always go into the, oh, what does the opposite side believe? <laughs> we think about what do we believe and how do we confirm? Think about confirmation bias also is connected to similarity bias and, and having a preference for what is like us. Confirmation bias just leads us to make the decision based on what we believe is true. So if someone tells us, oh my gosh, you're going to interview someone tomorrow that is awesome. You're going to love this guy. I've worked with him before and he's wonderful. You know what? You're going to look for all the things that are wonderful about that friend's recommendation for that hiring decision. That's the way our brain works. The next one is about expedience, and we are so threatened by uncertainty as human beings. We crave certainty, and we sometimes move towards quick decisions rather than gathering the information and the facts and the data that are needed. For all of you who are just under pressure to, to make a decision, or if you have a strong need for closure, then the expedience bias can definitely kick in because we want to just do it fast and get it over with and get it out of our brain. But that doesn't necessarily mean we're making a high quality decision. And then the last one is about safety. And you'll notice there's some trends in this. We prefer to avoid loss and this need to protect ourselves may actually hold us back from a little bit of risk taking. And research shows that we prefer even not to lose money even more than we prefer to gain it. 
Isn't that interesting? So we don't want to lose a buck and we'd rather not lose a buck than actually gain a buck. And um, so safety can definitely have an influence on our decisions at work. When you look at those biases collectively, and again, this is just a few, there are so many, but similarity, experience, confirmation, expedience, and safety means that we're going to veer towards the things that we've done in the past that are comfortable to us and that don't put us at risk. And when we have people telling us something that is positive, we have that confirmation bias that kicks in as well. So if you want to make really good decisions, which is important to you as a leader and also to everyone around you, and just even (laughs) as a human being, frankly, to improve your effectiveness in decision-making, consider the following practices. And I have four thoughts. One is discuss biases and problem solving and decision making. Your best defense is awareness and self-discipline, not only for yourself, but for others as well. Bring these biases to the surface, talk about them, and make sure that you're being deliberate about using these as a part of your vocabulary and as a part of your discussions. And then look at past practices. If you focus on a few decisions you've made, what trends or patterns do you see for yourself? Do you see any of these biases kicking in? I certainly do. When I look over even this past year and some of the things I've done with safety, with my experience, with similarity, you bet I see these in decisions that I've made. And I want to be really cognizant of that going forward. Number three is pay attention to decisions made by others. And I don't mean like go around judging how everybody's deciding, but Go around paying attention to it so you can see these biases in action or see others trying to manage or mitigate the risks associated with these biases. Pay attention to both the pitfalls and the best practices. And then number four is use good reflective thinking. Consider that decision-making is a process and it requires discipline and give it your deliberate time and attention. If you do these things, you are going to be not only a better decision maker and come up with better, higher quality and sustainable decisions, but you're going to be a good role model for your team as well. And you know, I love a good quote. Albert Camus said, life is the sum of all your choices. So thinking about that, make good, deliberate choices on purpose. And please write a review or let me know feedback that you have on these episodes. I would love to hear your perspective. 